0: called out if you've been hanging around victory point at all uh we started this series a couple of weeks ago and what we are do- you're pointing at me Tori what I'm all good right okay um in this series uh, she can't sit where I can see her she needs to like go sit in the lobby or something like that um but called out we are calling out everyone to let you know to remind you That you are called by God. God has a calling on all of our lives. Everyone who names the name of Jesus as Savior and Lord is called. Has a calling. We 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 mustn't reduce calling to a special people in a specific place. Everyone is called. Everyone who names Jesus as Savior and Lord is called. And we use a um oh I gotta get to my slide here. Pete, can you are we there? I'm at the end. Can you get to my first slide there, Pete? Or do I got to go backwards? You got it? Good. All right. I'm going to go match up with you so that I can go with you now. Here we go. There's this quote, this foundational quote that uh, that we've been using throughout the entire series. It just kind of captures and summarizes what we mean by everyone is called. And it's this. The heart of God's call is this. That we receive and live the love of God for us and for the world. The vocation of every Christian is to live as a follower of Jesus. Today, in every aspect of life, in small and large acts, with family, neighbors, enemies, we are to seek to live out the grace and truth of Jesus. This is our vocation. This is our calling. You know, the great commandment, the great commission is our calling, our vocation, Love God, love people, make disciples, bring the kingdom. This is our universal 24-7 calling as Christians. No matter what age of life you are, no matter what stage of life you are, no matter what context of life you find yourself in, this is our calling. Life is mission, and mission is life. So that's kind of where we've been and what we've been talking about. And uh, this week I want to kind of go... little bit deeper into our identity of calling, in, into the nature, the upward dimension of our calling. And I'm going to go in a completely different direction than what I anticipated going in. Um, and I blame Randy Insing. I don't know if he's here, but we had missional community Thursday night and sitting out on the deck uh, at Dave and Betty Johan's house. And we were praying for each other and, and praying for the person on our right. And uh, I had asked for prayer for just some so, some, some clarity, you know, for, for what to bring on Sunday morning. And so Randy prayed for me and uh, like it started to just come together on Friday. So thank you, Randy. Unless it's no good, then blame Randy for this. But um, it'll be good because it's the word of God. It's always good. So uh, I'm going to pray and we're going to dive in, okay? Lord, thank you for this moment in time. We'll never have this moment in time again where these people are gathered in this space around you. I pray we don't miss it. I pray we're fully present, and I pray we receive whatever it is that you have for us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, if you have a Bible, I want to encourage you to find the book of Exodus, okay? It's very easy to find. It's at the beginning of the Bible, second book. Find the book of Exodus, okay? Or if you have a, a Bible app and you like to follow along that way, find the book of Exodus. We're going to kind of walk through some big story narratives this morning, okay? And we're going to start out in Exodus 3. Exodus 3, and I'm going to read, this won't be on the screen in its entirety, but um, I'm going to read verses 1 through 13 in Exodus, and you follow along or just listen and imagine. This is, you know, we're talking about calling. We're going to look at the calling of Moses, okay? Moses' calling. I'm going to use these things because they've been very helpful lately, okay? Listen to this. Exodus 3, don't laugh at me. Was that you, Bob? I heard you. Okay, Exodus 3, 1 through 13, the calling of Moses. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he had led the flock to the far side of the wilderness, and he came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I've come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Pez- Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, Moses said to God, Suppose I go to the Israelites and I say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, What is his name? Then what shall I tell them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. So we know this story. It's it's an epic foundational story of our faith heritage. The Israelites, God's people, have been in captivity in Egypt for many, many, many years. And their cries have, God is turning his attention towards their cries. And so he calls Moses to a very specific context of calling. After 40 years of just tending sheep in the desert, Moses receives this special, special, specific calling. Now, on the one hand, when you think about it, Moses is pretty ultra qualified for this task. I mean, think about it. He speaks Hebrew, he speaks Egyptian, he knows Egyptian customs, he knows this desert land, he's been wandering it for 40 years. He knows all the the, the, the lands that God's people will be going to. He's familiar with it. But God doesn't bring up any of Moses' qualifications. He just says, Go get my people, I'll be with you. Go get my people. I'll be with you. Now, Moses was 80 years old when this happened. Don't ever think God's done with you. God's calling comes at any stage in any age of life. As long as you have breath, you are available for God's calling. God has mission for you. So, we we skip ahead in the story. Moses has now gone to the people in Egypt He's hooked up with some of the leaders. He's trying to convey to them what he's there for, what God has called him to do. And uh, he has this sort of you know, exchange with God. God says this to Moses. Therefore, say to the Israelites, I am the Lord. We're, we're in Exodus 6 now, verses 6 through 8. I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I will free you from being slaves to them. And I will redeem you with an outstretched hand, an arm, and with mighty acts of judgment. I will take you as my own people, and I will be your God. Just remember that phrase. Okay, we're going to come back to that. I will take you as my own people, and I will be your God. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God who brought you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. And I will bring you to the land that I swore and uplifted, with uplifted hand to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. And I will give it to you as a possession I am the Lord. So we know the story. Most of us, anyway. The the, the the Exodus happens. Okay, this great and epic and dramatic delivery of God's people from slavery in Egypt, and the, the parting of the Red Sea, and all the miracles that took place. and And how many people? We don't know. Like sometimes people think maybe upwards to a million. You know, most scholars think it was at least a hundred to one hundred fifty thousand. Israelites fled Egypt into the wilderness, into the, the next season of journey that God had for them. And then we get to Exodus 19. Exodus 19. I want to read Exodus 19 to us. And again, this one isn't on the screen. I'm just going to read it. I want you to hear it as story, okay? It says this. On the first day of the third month after the Israelites left Egypt, on that very day, they came to the desert of Sinai. And after they set out from Rephidim, they entered the desert of Sinai, and Israel camped there in the desert in front of the mountain. Then God, then Moses, he went up to God. Just, just listen to this, how this unfolded. Then Moses went up to God, and the Lord called to him from the mountain, and he said, This is what you are to say to the descendants of Jacob and what you are to tell the people of Israel. You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt and how I carried you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. Now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all nations, you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words you are to speak to the Israelites, Moses. So Moses went back and he summoned the elders of the people and he set before them all the words the Lord had commanded him to speak. The people all responded together. We will do everything the Lord has said. So Moses brought their answer back to the Lord. The Lord said to Moses, I'm going to come to you in a dense cloud so that the people will hear me speaking with you and they'll always put their trust in you. Then Moses told the Lord what the people had said. And the Lord said to Moses, Go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow. Have them wash their clothes and be ready by the third day because on that day the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. Put limits for the people around the mountain and tell them, Be careful that you do not approach the mountain or touch the foot of it. Whoever touches the mountain is to be put to death. They are to be stoned or shot with arrows. Not a hand is to be laid on them. No person or animal shall be permitted to live. Only when the ram's horn sounds a long blast may they approach the mountain. After Moses had gone down the mountain to the people, he consecrated them, and they washed their clothes. Then he said to the people, Prepare yourselves for the third day, abstain from sexual relations. On the morning of the third day, there was thunder and lightning with a thick cloud over the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast. Everyone in the camp trembled. Then Moses led the people out of the camp to meet with God, and they stood at the foot of the mountain. Mount Sinai was covered with smoke because the Lord descended on it in fire. The smoke billowed up from it like smoke from a furnace, and the whole mountain trembled violently. As the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke, And the voice of God answered him. The Lord descended to the top of Mount Sinai. And he called Moses to the top of the mountain. So Moses went up. And the Lord said to him. Go down and warn the people. So they do not force their way through to see the Lord. And many of them perish. Even the priests who approach the Lord must consecrate themselves. Or the Lord will break out against them. Moses said to the Lord. The people cannot come up Mount Sinai. Because you yourself warned us limits around the mountain and set it apart as holy. The Lord replied, go down and bring Aaron up with you. But the priests and the people must not force their way through to come up to the Lord or he will break out against them. So Moses went down to the people and told them. And then you move into Exodus 20 and that's where we have the Ten Commandments. In the book of Exodus, this mountain is called Mount Sinai. In Deuteronomy, It's called Mount Horeb. Many scholars believe they they are probably one in the same mountain. Now, some of you know, like back in June, I had the privilege of uh, going on a study trip to Israel with uh, RVL, with Ray Vanderlaan. And while we didn't go up what is believed to be, you know, the Mount Sinai, we went up a mountain really similar in nature to Mount Sinai. It was too difficult to get to to where Mount Sinai might have been. It would have taken too long. So we went up an equivalent of that mountain called Mount Timnah. I'm just going to show some pictures of Mount Timnah. They're up on my, there we go. Um, So this is us, kind of, it was a long trek to get up to the top of Mount Timnah. This is kind of at the beginning, kind of heading towards the mountains. Timnah, by the way, is located in southern Israel. It's about 17 miles north of Elat about in, in mount timna itself it's about 1500 feet above sea level so i'm just going to scroll through some of these are you controlling these pete or am i i have no control well, this is my life man I, I think i have no control so just kind of slowly scroll through those to the last one would you i thought i was doing it okay so i just want you to get a feel for for mount timna okay um it, it, it took us a while. We went up to the very top of that thing. Just keep going. And, and at the end, it got really technical and steep. And uh, there's myself with RVL up at the top. And then uh, I think the next slide, um, this is uh, Ben Herman. He's a teacher at Holland Christian High School. He was my roommate. But you kind of get a, a scale of how high we are looking out over things. Just leave it right there. Um, this is, imagine this is Mount Sinai. Okay, imagine this is kind of what Mount Sinai might have looked like, might have you know, felt like climbing up and down. And let's think back on what I just read, on this, what, what, what went on between God and Moses in, in this scene. Um, Moses climbed up the mountain at the beginning of Exodus 19. He climbs up the mountain and has like a 60-second conversation with God. And then he goes back down the mountain and he tells the people, the content of that 60-second conversation with God. And the elders and all the people say, yeah, we'll do everything the Lord says. We're going to do it, okay? So Moses climbs back up the mountain. I mean, just start to imagine like up and down. He climbs back up the mountain and tells God the people's answer. And God says to Moses, he tells him what he's about to do. Now, I'm going to come to you in a thick cloud so that the people will trust you. So tell everyone to consecrate themselves. Tell them to wash their clothes and to get ready. For on the third day, I'm going to come to the top of this mountain. And everyone's going to be able to kind of see my presence. And, uh, you know, I want you to set up a perimeter because, you know, I'm holy. So Moses goes down, goes back down, tells the people, adds this word about sexual abstinence. He thought that was a good thing too. And then on the morning of the third day, thunder and lightning. And out of that, God... Invites Moses back up the mountain. So Moses climbs back up the mountain. He gets to the top. And God says, go down and get Aaron. So Moses goes back down. I mean, you you just start to. I mean, it it really comes to life for me. Having climbed Mount Timnah. Like, wow. Moses was all in. He was all in to his calling. Whatever the Lord required of him. Whatever the Lord asked of him. He did. When God calls us. He expects every ounce of our being. He, expect, he expects all of us, all of, our, all of what we have, all of who we are, all of our possessions, all of our capitals, all of our energy. I mean, he, he, wants, us, he wants us to be all in. Moses, to me, is a picture. After going up Timna just once, uh, like, wow, Moses was all in. Now, come back with me a second uh, to Exodus 6. To Exodus 6. Remember there was that phrase that I asked you to pay attention to in Exodus 6, particularly verse 7? Verse 7 goes like this. I, w- w- this is what God said. He, he commissioned Moses, sends Moses to his people in Egypt. Moses tells Aaron and all the elders and the leaders, this is what the Lord says. This is what the Lord's going to do. The Lord says that I'm going to take all of you. I'm going to take you as my own people. And I'm going to be your God. You're going to be my people I'm going to be your God. Well, fascinating, powerful. In the Hebrew, that word for take is laka. okay? You got to like kind of spit at the end, you know, but but that that's the Hebrew word for take, you know, when it says I will take you. And what that Hebrew word means, it means I select you, I choose you, I take you in marriage. I just want us to, to get that because I, I don't think we... We see it like that sometimes. God is telling the people, Israel, not only am I going to rescue you and redeem you and deliver you, I'm going to take you as my bride. I'm going I'm to take you in marriage. And that simple understanding of that simple Hebrew word transforms how I understand Sinai you now. how how I understand what I just read in Exodus 19, how I understand the the giving of the Ten Commandments. What what if Sinai, to a Jewish perspective, to a Jewish understanding, to God's understanding, is a wedding? Is a wedding where God is choosing a human partner. God is choosing a spouse. God's choosing a bride. I get it. Yes, an unfaithful bride, right? I mean, the, the... the people of Israel is just, they're historic with, with unfaithfulness. You know, the, even a cheating bride, right? Even at the wedding at Sinai, they're down there making a golden calf. But God says, I still choose you. I choose you. I choose you to be my, my human partner on earth, to be my spouse, to be my bride. Because God sees the beauty in the people. And he understands that even though they're past is full of suffering and checkered and hard, and they've been marginalized, that sets them up to be the perfect bride because they will have compassion for the marginalized because they've experienced it. What if we saw Mount Sinai, you know, Exodus 19 and 20, not as this, how we sometimes see it, as this issuing of this legal document, the Ten Commandments. What if it's not like that at all? What if it's a wedding? That sort of transforms the story, doesn't it? The Ten Commandments, when you start to view them as a wedding covenant, they're no longer a list of do's and don'ts, but wedding vows. God saying, I love you. I love you. And this is how you can show love to me. I'm your husband. Have no other husbands before me. I give you my name. Be careful with how you use my name. Let's have a date night. Once a week, let's rest and let's have a date night together. I mean, what if we start to to view God's heart for God's people in this moment through the lens of a wedding? It changes things. And God says, since you all now are my, my bride, this is how you are to live. This is how you are to love. This is how you are to relate to each other. I give you these, you know, out of love. I believe this is how, the people of Israel in that moment understood this moment. I believe that's how God understood that moment. I believe that's how he remembers that moment. In Jeremiah, Jeremiah 2, 1 through 2. This is later on in Israel's story and uh, where, where God sends Jeremiah to proclaim some truth and some words to uh, his wayward bride. And, and he says this to Jeremiah. He says, the word of the Lord came to me, Jeremiah says, Go and proclaim in the hearing of Jerusalem, this is what the Lord says I remember the devotion of your youth, how as a bride you loved me, and followed me through the wilderness, through a land not sown. At Sinai, God is saying to the Israelites, and I'm going to explain in just a little bit why this is important to us today. But in, at Sinai, God's saying to the Israelites, You are now my bride, you are my spouse. You're my covenant mission partner. God didn't pick an employee. He chose a partner. God's saying, I have a mission and I need a suitable human partner to accomplish my mission. And so as my partner, this is now your mission too. This is now your mission too. So back to Exodus 19 where I just read. I want to go back to a particular phrase God used. said this. Verses 5 and 6. Remember this? I just read this. Now if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all nations you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words you are to speak to the Israelites, Moses. Kingdom of priests. What is the mission? What is the, the, the identity of calling for the Israelites? It's to join God in being a kingdom of priests. What does that, that mean? Well, this breaks it apart. Kingdom. Kingdom. Kingdom is wherever the king is kinging. Wherever the king is kinging, that's the kingdom. Wherever his will is being done, that's the kingdom. Where his will isn't being done, isn't the king's kingdom. It's someone else's kingdom. The enemy's kingdom. Where you do the king's will you bring the king's kingdom. Where you do the king's will, you advance his kingdom. At Sinai, God is commissioning his bride, his people to bring his kingdom by loving and caring for people. What does it mean to be a priest? Well, a priest is someone who is holy, who is set apart. Someone who shows by his or her life and by his or her words what God is like. A billboard for God. Think of it that way. A billboard for God a holy, set-apart people who live differently than the rest of the world, who put God on display by bearing and manifesting and incarnating the presence of God wherever they are. God says, you're to be to me a kingdom of priests, a kingdom of priests who through your words and through your actions moment by moment, inch by inch, take back the kingdom. And you know what? That is still the identity of our calling today. That is still who God expects us to be. That is still who God has commissioned us to be, invited us to be. It's the upward dimension of our calling. At Sinai, God chooses a partner and he invites and gives his partner a mission and he equips them to be bearers of his presence. And that's still our calling. As we talk about calling in this series, I just want to remind us the the foundational identity of our calling. This is our calling today, too, as followers of Jesus. And I want to remind us of that this morning, hopefully in a fresh way. Because I think God's bride today, especially in North America, needs to be reminded of the nature and the identity of our calling as a church. Because what has happened, you know, what what happened to the Israelites as you keep reading this story um, has happened to us. I just want to summarize that, you know, and forgive me, I'm going to generalize here. But um, in this story that we read this morning, God chooses a people, a bride, and he proceeds to lead his bride through the wilderness, through the desert. I think that's important to note, you know, sometimes we say the Israelites wandered through the desert, but, but God led them. He led them with a cloud by day and a fire by night. The wilderness served a purpose in Israelites' development. God led them through the desert. And I don't think the desert, the wilderness was a failure. I think Israel raised up a generation who would obey God in the wilderness time. So God chooses a bride. He leads her through the desert to teach her some things. And eventually he leads them into the land of Canaan. We call it the promised land. And though they're a small people, And though the promised land really is just a small chunk of land in the Middle East, God strategically places his people where sometimes upwards 15 to 20 million people would pass through in a given year on the trade routes between the East and the West. I mean, don't don't miss that. God geographically, strategically placed his bride, his people, in a particular place where they would have opportunity to interact and influence all kinds of people where they, where they could influence the world by showing the world what God is like by the way they received and distributed the love of God to everyone but over time the Israelites just like us forgot the mission that they lost track of of their identity and they began to think all this goodness all this abundance This land of milk and honey, like this is for us. This is for us. That was never God's intention. That was never God's heart. God made that clear from the very beginning, didn't he? When he first began to to call the people to be his bride, when he he talked to Abraham, remember back in Genesis, Genesis 12, one through three. Here's a calling, another calling we see in scripture. God came to Abram and he said this, Go from your country, your people, your father's household to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you and I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse and all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. It's right there. God's intent, God's desire, God's calling for his people. To be a blessing to the world, to put God on display, to be a living billboard wherever they are, to the lost, the least, the lonely. But over time, the Israelites they, they lost their way. They lost touch with their God-given identity to be and to live as kingdom of kingdom of priests. They they, they stopped declaring and demonstrating. God's love for the least, the lost, the lonely. Their focus became inward and they began to think, this is for us. This is for me. Accumulation, preservation. And think about it. When it's all intake and, and no outlet, things get plugged up. When it's all intake and no outlet, things get plugged up. It's like the Dead Sea, it, it just it becomes dead, there's, there's no outlet. So God did. And again, I'm summarizing a lot of history here. But God did what a loving God does. He sent his bride into exile. He allowed neighboring kingdoms to come in and to scatter his people the Assyrians, Babylon. You know, God, he disciplined his people in order to call them back to their calling, to remind them of their identity, to remind them that this isn't about you. You're blessed to be a blessing. It's always been about that, blessing the world through you. So their story then, and and I think it's kind of our story today if we think critically about it, um, at least for the church in North America. To most people in the world, I mean, ponder this. To most people in the world, we live in the promised land, the United States of America. And sometimes, somehow, the, the American dream mentality It gets all tangled up in our understanding of our identity, of our calling, and what it means to to be the bride, to be the church. And and this consumer culture, let's just be honest, this consumer culture that we all live and breathe in 24-7 a day, we can't help but be affected by it, it it creeps its way into our understanding of our calling and our understanding of of what it means to, to be the church. And sometimes we start to convince ourselves that this exists for us and this exists to meet my needs and if we're honest sometimes we, we come here I do we come here thinking more about what can I receive versus what can I give today What can I how can I give encouragement today how can I give prayer today how can I give worship today how can I give who I am you know, to, to this mission we have as God's bride. This doesn't exist for us. We exist for the world. The church is the only institution that exists for the benefit of its non-members. That's who we, that's how, that's who we exist for. That's who God invited people to be as his bride, as his church. So I think in some ways, the church in North America Just like the Israelites back in, you know, this book, this story, like, is sort of in exile today. I think we've lost sight of of who we are to be, And, and we are no longer, you know, prominent in culture. We are no longer the center of society, and we can't change that. God's teaching us something. He's refining the church. He's calling us back to the core of our identity and our mission, that we exist For the benefit of those outside of this place. And what does that look like? And how are we doing that? How are we doing that individually? And how are we doing that, you know, corporately? Because here's the deal. Whether you're in the promised land or in exile, the mission doesn't stop. The mission does not stop. You know, Jeremiah, who we read just a little bit ago. He's the one that God called to go share a challenging word with his bride when they went wayward. And uh, he, he says this, you know, now now you're in exile. Now you're not in the promised land anymore. Now you're in captivity. You know, you, you're, you've you been scattered. Here's what I want you to do in that scattering, in that exile. Seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I've carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it because if it prospers, you too will prosper. So it doesn't matter, church. It doesn't matter if, if we're Prominent, dominant, or on the margins? I actually think the church will get more powerful on the margins. Church always is most powerful when it's marginalized. I'm okay with that. I Embrace that. Can't change it anyway. So what does it look like to, 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 to be billboards for God? What's it look like to put God on display in our city with the influence we can have through our relationships? You know, I don't know where I'm going with all this, but I was at the mayor's prayer breakfast this week. I've never gone to the mayor's prayer breakfast, but I saw it on Facebook. I thought, oh, I should go to the mayor's prayer breakfast. You know, that'd be good. I, I want to know what's going on in the city. So I went to the mayor's prayer breakfast. And while we were there, um, the keynote speaker, it wasn't the mayor, some guy from New York, shared some data with us about Ottawa County, and I learned some things about where we live. In, in just a couple of the stats. He said this. of the residents in Ottawa County spend 35% of their income on housing costs. Wow. Almost half of the people in Ottawa County spend over 35% of their income on just affording a house or renting a place or something. We have an affordable housing issue here. He said 19.4% of Ottawa County youth have seriously thought about suicide in the last year. I mean, Raven brought that to our attention, you know, and Cindy, when when they presented their Generation Spark, but 20% of young people in our county at some point in the last year have seriously thought about taking their lives. Another stat, that um, Hispanic and African American students are 400% less likely to graduate from college than Caucasians. I mean, these are real... These are real things in, in our neighborhood. These are real things in our city. What does it look like to be the bride of Christ on the margins of society? To demonstrate and declare the love of God, to to to, to, to care for the marginalized, to, to put God on display, to be a living billboard. I don't know the answers. I've got things going around in my head, you know, from last week when we talked about passions and possessions and problems. I'm, I'm discerning with the Lord. Like, what are you asking me to do? Are you asking us to do something? What does that look like? What's it look like to to step out? But I'm just calling us all back this morning. Don't forget the identity of our calling. We always have been and always need to be God's bride on mission with him in this world. It's, we exist to, to, to bring the love of God to people. That's what we're here for. What does that look like? What does that look like in your personal calling, in our, in our corporate calling? I'm gonna invite the band up. We're gonna sing and close. But as they come up, I don't know. I mean, I feel like I'm just, I'm, I'm just trying to pour out, outflow what God's put on my heart this week. He, he, I feel like he's reminding me of what this is all about. Because too often I get too distracted and concerned with what this isn't about and i want to get back to what it means to be the church to be the bride to, to be on mission with our partner you know in his world declaring and demonstrating his love to everyone and and i invite you to like to just ponder this morning what does that look like in your life how's that happening in your life right now how could it happen and just receive from the lord this morning whatever conviction or challenge or encouragement He's given you. Pay attention to it. What's God saying? What are you going to do about it? Just take a minute and reflect on that. And then Brendan, why don't you invite us into this last song after that.